Today's scripture reading is Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will notice us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault. This great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not because the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, Please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made the vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. This is the reading of God's word. Thank you, Mia, for that reading of scripture, the story of Jonah. Jonah, did you know that this prophet is well regarded by all three of the major monotheistic religions in the world? Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. In fact, the tomb of the prophet Jonah has been there for thousands of years. Where? In the very city that he was called to preach, Nineveh, Assyria, which today is called Mosul, Iraq. Sadly, in 2014, ISIS blew up his tomb. So even though the actual grave place, the marker, is destroyed, the message of Jonah 
lives today. It's a timeless story for us because embedded in this story is so much. And as Pastor Jean introduced last week, we're going to take three months and go through it and see what God has for us in these important times. First thing about the book, let me remind you, is that even though it's the prophet of Jonah, it's not like the prophet of Isaiah, whose book contains his words, his sermons from God. Instead, this is more of a biography, or you might say it's uh, the opposite of a biography because it's not written to praise the prophet, but rather to critique him. And so what we're going to find out is, as we heard last week, we are Jonah. When we read this, it's like looking into a mirror because we see much of who we are as well. So last week, Pastor Jin reminded us that God said to Jonah, go, Jonah, you're living in the land of Israel, you're a prophet, I want you to go to the Assyrians in their city called Nineveh and tell them to repent because if they don't, I'm going to destroy their city. And Jonah, instead of following God and his heart for the people of Assyria, looked the other way and tried to get as far as away he, as he could. And if you remember last week, Pastor Jen said it would be like if we're in Philadelphia and God calls us to Boston, we end up going to Los Angeles. That's where we are in the story today. I'm picking it up in the middle of the story in verse 10, and uh, what we're going to see here, as you heard read, is that these sailors and Jonah are discussing the storm that God sent to shake up his prophet. And uh, the answer was, it's my fault. I know why the storm is raging, and uh, what you need to do is get rid of me. In, in fact, just throw me overboard now. And in verses 13 through 16, the sailors reluctantly do throw Jonah overboard. Um, and that, that may sound cruel, but it's actually a display of their new faith in the God that Jonah was running away from. You see, Jonah actually ends up converting the very sailors that he hired to take them away from God who wanted him to go convert the Ninevites. That's what's so amazing about this. And if you look at the word fear or afraid or terrified, it's all one word in the Hebrew language. It's found three times and it shows the progress of these sailors' faith. In verse 5, the sailors, it says, were afraid of the storm. I mean, who, who wouldn't be? And then in verse 10, it says, when they were talking to Jonah and they hear that Jonah's God is the true God, the universal God of both land and sea. Uh, little footnote, in the ancient world, there was no such thing as one universal God of everything and everywhere. There were regional gods of different places a god of lightning, a god of the storm, a god of the sun, a god of the rain, and so forth. Then it says in verse 10, 
they were terrified that this man who says he worships the God of the sea is not behaving in a way that he should have. So they move from fear of the storm now to a terror at the God who creates the storm. And then in verse 16, at the end of the story, it says that the men actually worship God with great fear, great awe. And when they went back to land, probably, they offered sacrifices and made vows. You see the, see the progress there? They went from being afraid of the storm and the God who caused the storm to now bowing in worship and submission and in, in awe, that reverence of worship that says, I'm a new person. The sailors were converted. Now, it's ironic, isn't it, that the man that was chosen to share God's message with the people of Nineveh ran in the opposite direction and ended up sharing God's message with the people he met while he was running away. <laughs> it's almost comical. It's ironic. In fact, as we heard last week, the others, that is, the people who are different than us and that we pull back from because if they're not one of us, there's somebody else and I don't want to get too close to them, end up being the very ones that Jonah, the missionary, converts to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. Hmm. Now, this story is... I mean, that's the story. It's, it's easy to follow, isn't it? And yet, embedded underneath the story is a profound message that I'd like to tell you about today. And the message is this. It's that God is seeking and redeeming people who repent of their sins and turn in faith to him. That's the message. That's what you have to know before you understand anything in the book of Jonah. Because it kind of sounds odd if you just step into it without knowing that. So let me remind you that God is the God who is seeking and redeeming people who turn to him and love him and worship him. And that shouldn't be a surprise, because if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the very day when Adam and Eve revolted against God, that's exactly what happened. After they sinned, God didn't send lightning bolts and destruction and earthquakes to wipe out his people that he created. He didn't fulfill the warning that he said, in the day you eat it, you will surely die. The first thing God did right after the sin was to ask a question. Genesis 3.13 records it. What have you done? It's a question that invites introspection. Right? God didn't ask it because he didn't know. He asked it to draw out from Adam and Eve 
a confession, an admission of their guilt and sin and rebellion, and hopefully a repentance that would say, God, yes, here's what I did, and I'm so sorry about it. And you know what's even more ironic about Scripture? Is that those words, what have you done, are the exact words that the sailors say to Jonah in verse 10. When they realize he's worshiping the God of the sea and the storm is about to kill everyone, they say in verse 10, what have you done? You see, that kind of echo of God's heart of calling people, seeking people, is something God's been doing all of the time. He's doing it today. In fact, uh, we call it, to start with, general revelation. That is, God is always showing all people something about him. Listen to Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day to day they pour forth speech, night to night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. For God there is no other. He speaks to all people everywhere, all the time. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 1 where he expands it and says, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God is everywhere, always talking to people, inviting people to come to him. The Bible also says that God speaks more deeply to some people. We call that special revelation. You see, the scriptures contain the specific details about God, his laws, our sinfulness, Jesus who came to die and rise for us. Those details are not found written in the stars, but rather written in scripture. And it's that specific message about Jesus that demands that people say yes or no. It demands a response. And when people tell other people about the message of Jesus, those who repent and believe in Jesus are born again, born on the inside, born from above, and God forgives their sin and gives them the beginning of eternal life now and forever. So, God speaks to all people and offers them salvation. And like Pastor Jim said last week, God loves what we call the other. 
that person, that group of people that we would never even think about. He loves everyone enough to speak generally and speak specifically to them. Do you see what I mean? That this is, this is the, uh, uh, the backbone of the book of Jonah. You have to understand that God is already wanting to reach the Assyrians. He's been speaking to them, and now he invites Jonah to go and be his actual flesh and bones and mouth to them. But you know, God is so powerful that occasionally... He doesn't need people. He just speaks directly to them, and especially in parts of the world where it's difficult to reach or maybe where people are oppressed or the gospel is under persecution. In our church, we actually have someone who experienced that. Many of you know Seville, a dear sister, and... Uh, I asked her, because I had heard her testimony before, I asked her if she would just summarize it, especially highlighting the fact that God spoke to her and to her husband, Mike. This is what she told me in an email this week. She says, yes, Jesus spoke to me in my dream and said, I need to read his book. He said he is going to send it to me through someone and he did. God is at work. God would have been at work rescuing the Ninevites with or without Jonah. He didn't need Jonah, but he had invited him to participate with him. And instead, <laughs> Jonah hated the other. What a mess. But that mess doesn't mess up God's plan or doesn't change God's heart to reach people. More often than not, God uses us to talk to people, <laughs> willingly or not. Isn't that amazing that in the story here, Jonah wasn't, quote, evangelizing the sailors. <laughs> They're the ones that asked him a question. And he just kind of said, all right, well, I'll tell you about who I am. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the true God who made the heavens and the sea and the earth and everything. Now, would you please get off my back and I want to go back to sleep. <laughs> we wouldn't think, oh, Jonah, what a great way to tell people about God and ask them to respond. But that didn't stop God from working in the hearts of those sailors you see it? It's not up to us, but God uses us. So why not, uh, could I say, get in the adventure of joining with God in whatever he's doing with people? That's the way we should look at it. When you see someone and talk to somebody and get to know somebody, you should also be listening for, is God doing something to stir their heart? You know already that God is speaking to them. The question is, how are they responding, and how can you help to fertilize those responses by giving them specific information, by sharing from your own heart your own struggles? 
what it's like to know God and walk with God. So God is always reaching out to people, and he wants us to join him. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe you've got to know some new neighbors, right? Taking a walk, walking your dog, or maybe your cat. You know, quick detour. We're looking out one day to take a walk, my wife and I, and we see in the distance this family walking, not with their dog, but with a cat. And we couldn't believe it, and there was no leash. The cat was actually following this family in our neighborhood. And uh, amazing. And the other day I was taking a walk, and uh, I was, had my music going, and sometimes I listen to podcasts, and I was approaching four people in our neighborhood, and I thought, okay, do I keep on going and just, like, walk and keep going and not say anything because, you know, I'm on a schedule and all? And I said, no. So I pulled them out, walked, and talked with them for about 10 minutes. It wasn't a serious spiritual conversation, but it was part of that bridge building and getting to know my neighbors and finding out what the latest was about housing and their kids and that kind of a thing. But you never know, because a week before that, when I ran into somebody walking their dog, she started to complain to me about, oh, I can't believe the schools, they're not open, and I can't believe these poor parents, and what is going on? And I was able to say, just gently, God is really doing something, isn't he? And she agreed, and then she said, yeah, but what is it? I don't know. And of course, I don't know either, but I said, but God is the one who's reminding us that we need him. And another conversation maybe, right? Because she was finishing walking her dog and I was getting the mail and that's the way life is. This week, last week, I got a letter from a uh, third grader at Chelton. Dear Pastor Cruson, my class was talking about how nobody was perfect. Then somebody said, God is not perfect. Should I tell them about Jesus or just stay quiet? Love, and she writes her name with a heart. How about that? A third grader cared enough to ask me what I thought she should do, and one of her options was, be quiet. Well, that's an easy option. But can you imagine, she said, or tell them about Jesus. <laughs> now, I did write her back, but what would you say to her if she asked you that question? Or let me even push in a little bit more. Is that a question you might ask of a friend, a coworker, a neighbor? Should I keep quiet or tell them about Jesus? God is telling people about himself always. Do you sense that God is putting someone in your life who needs Jesus? Can you think of a name or two or five? Well, just take one. 
and start praying for that person. You know what's going to happen? If you regularly take that person to the throne of God, the next time you see the person, <laughs> you're going to be wondering, what is God doing? And can I help God by saying something, by even asking them, isn't this a great question? What can I pray for you about? But maybe this morning you're thinking, you know what, I'm, hate to say it, but I'm really more like Jonah. It's hard for me to talk to anybody about Jesus since I don't really care about them that much. Well, that's okay. But it's not okay. So let me encourage you that although we are Jonah, God is God. And God continues to seek and redeem people, even you. And the reason he does this amazing work of transformation and redemption is because there is someone who is much better than Jonah. In fact, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. I want you to see the anti-Jonah. I want you to see someone who went through almost exactly the same thing that Jonah went through in the story I read today. It's Matthew chapter 8. It's Jesus, and it's verse 23 through verse 27. Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. See it? The similar things are amazing, aren't they? It's, it's the raging storm on the sea and the danger of the ship taking on water and almost sinking. And both Jonah and Jesus are asleep during this raging storm. And the frightened sailors awaken Jonah and the frightened disciples awaken Jesus, right? This is not a coincidence. And then at the end, the sailors began to fear the Lord and worship him, and the disciples here are awed, overawed, at Jesus' divine power. But there's one difference. You know what it is? 
Jonah's storm is calmed by the sacrifice of Jonah into the waters. The storm in the gospel story is calmed by the word of Jesus calming the waters for now. Later, it's the sacrifice of Jesus himself that calms the storm of sin and death. And so what we have in the gospel is the anti-Jonah. He's like Jonah, but he's unlike Jonah. He doesn't run from God. He is God. And like Jonah, wanted to sacrifice himself just to stop the wrath of the raging waters, to get rid of everything in his life by committing suicide. Jesus dies as a sacrifice, not for his sin. He's not running away from God. Our sins have made God run away from us, and Jesus absorbs them and dies for us and calms the sea of God's wrath so that when we come to him, we become new people. We become people who are now at peace with God and can live out that peace for God and with everyone we meet. So if it seems like a really tough thing, not just to wear a mask, but to speak through that mask to your friend, to your neighbor, to your coworker about Jesus, you'll do it if you remember that the sea was raging in your life. The storm of God's wrath was unsettling your life until Jesus came and with a word said, I love you, I die for you, I rise for you, I love you. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, the better Jonah. May this week we have new eyes to see and new mouths to speak. Give us your heart for the world around us. In the name of Jesus, our powerful Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen.